Good afternoon. My name is Samuel Ibrahim, and I'm your host of the Mind of the Prophet Meditation Hour, creation's favorite podcast. And so I welcome creation and the creator and Mother Nature uh, to join me in this episode as we talk about something that we have been laboring and meditation on uh, for a very, very long time. And I also want to welcome our listeners. Welcome, listeners. Thank you for joining in to the Meditation Hour as we sit here with the creator, creation, and Mother Nature, who is my boo. I really love that girl. She's fine to me. What are we talking about today? What are we laboring in meditation about today? Reparations. Reparations, reparations, reparations. And so if you've listened to uh, the episodes of the podcast where I talk about the vision I had back in April of 2020. And at the conclusion of this vision, God said I'm to be the instrument to bring reparations to pass in the United States of America. And I challenged God as to even the possibility of that being possible uh, because African-Americans or descendants of former slaves in this country are not unified. I was also a practicing attorney at the time and I said, how is this even possible legally? I was thinking that there would have to be some type of federal legal challenge that would go all the way to the Supreme Court and, uh, you know, just trying to think, how is this even going to come to pass? But the creator said, you are the instrument. And so um, for two years now, more than two years now, I've been meditating on how is this possible? And uh, over the past uh, two months, I've become more intentional as to uh, being that instrument uh, to to enable reparations to come to pass. <laughs> and as I've labored in being that instrument, it seems like my life has come to a pause. As we sit here and we fashion uh, plans to make this come to pass, to make reparations come to pass for the descendant of former slaves in the United States of America. And so uh, I'm sitting here with creation uh, Mother Nature and the Creator as I labor in meditation with them often about this topic and uh, I'm actually challenging uh, I'm challenging not the possibility but what it would take for the descendants of former slaves in this country to even really want reparations for themselves let I me mean, just add a uh, I guess place a pin there I believe African-Americans want the reparations. Why? Because it's money. It's free money. Okay, I won't say it's free. I'll just say it's, it's money we've earned because we live here. Right? So it's money that we've earned uh, due to persistent uh, racial inequality within this country that has not fully been solved within the United States. So we've earned it. And another reason why reparations is needed is because, just, let's just be honest here, okay? Money solves a lot of problems. And <clears throat> the, the wealth uh, and income inequality in this country precludes uh, descendants of former slaves, a majority of us, okay, a majority of us, from being able to enjoy the complete freedoms within this country. That's just a fact. Without money, you're unable to do a lot of things like combat racism. 
Without money, you are unable to combat racism. Okay, uh, and 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 the way that we see that uh, and are affected by that uh, as an African American community or as a community of descendant of former slaves is easily within the criminal justice system. In the criminal justice system, let me tell you what happens a large majority of the time. Okay, and I used to be a lawyer, and I saw this happen uh, more than once when it came down to uh, uh, someone facing criminal charges. This is what happens. person is charged with a crime. Okay? All people are entitled to a, uh, a reasonable defense. Okay? A reasonable defense. Uh, and I can't remember the exact uh, legal uh, phrase that is used in my you know law classes, but everyone's entitled to a good defense. Okay? Everyone is entitled to a uh, competent uh, defense counsel. And uh, I believe in most cases you'll get a lawyer who is able to be a competent representative of your interests uh, if you are in a criminal case. But here's what happens. The state has unlimited resources. Okay, They have unlimited resources at their disposal uh, to use against a targeted community to bring about uh, what isn't justice, uh, but it's a conviction, okay? And I had clients that would accept plea deals, not because they felt like they were guilty, but they did not have the money uh, to pay for the forensics. They did not have the money to continue to pay for legal representation. And as a result, in order to end the ordeal, and stop having to spend uh, the money that they had to spend uh, uh, in their fees for bond and other things that were fees uh, on the way to uh, proceed in the trial. They would just rather get it over with, accept the plea deal, and have that permanent mark on their record because it was more cost-effective for them to uh, accept the plea deal versus fight it out versus slugging it out in court to prove their innocence. Money was the number one uh, inhibitor. The lack of money, let me say that correctly. The lack of money was the number one inhibitor of them taking their cases to trial to prove their innocence. So they accepted a plea deal, which in one case resulted in jail time, and in another case it just resulted in uh, them having uh, something on their record that's that they're unable to get off of their record. All right? Uh, I'll tell you another way that money is able to combat racism. <clears throat> Black Americans, in my opinion, don't have an effective lobby. If we had an effective lobby, uh, effective unified lobby that we were able to get behind, you know, once upon a time what the NAACP was able to do for us. But, you know, I just don't really know what they stand for now. I still feel like they're begging <laughs> for a seat at the table, and they've been, uh, they're a well-established, uh, long-lived organization uh, that has a minimal amount of political influence. Man, you could even ask baby boomers that. You ask them what does the NAACP do, they could tell you what it did when it was formed, uh, but they're unable to tell you what it does now. And I'm unable to tell you what it does now. Ask any black American, how has the NAACP uh, been beneficial to their life? And a majority of them will not be able to tell you. They'll give you some civil rights-y, type of answer, but they can't point to anything specific as to what that organization has done. 
And so we've had pockets of uh, groups rise up uh, that have championed black issues. You can think about uh, the boys, the bus boycott. You can think about the Black Panthers. You can think about the Nation of Islam. You can even more recently here think about Black Lives Matter. Okay. Uh, but the only one that's really still standing <laughs> from all of that is the Nation of Islam. That's it. And the reason why they're still standing is because they are a community. <laughs> they are an actual nation uh, whose uh, ultimate goal was to be completely independent and self-sufficient of needing the United States government to assist them in any way. And, uh, you know, I'm not a member of that uh, community, but they're still longstanding. They are the only ones still standing from the civil rights era that uh, the, the people that are associated with it are able to directly say, this is how the nation has benefited my life. Okay. But if you go beyond that, what black lobby exists to champion black issues it doesn't exist. And I think about uh, black legislators like Sheila Jackson Lee, like Al Green. Um, uh, you know, I'm from the Houston area. So those are the two names that I'm easily able to mention. And when I used to be really involved with politics around 2008, 2009, and even before then, I would go to um, I would go to various meetings. I would go to various places where they would be, and they would still be talking about Dr. King. Uh, and, and mind you, Dr. King had his 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 prime in the 60s, the 1960s, and here it would be almost 60 years later. And there has yet to be another champion of black issues that has captivated the black community and united them towards the common goal of uh, making black issues a prominent part of the national debate, a prominent part of the national political discourse. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So now here I come <laughs> sounding uh, like I'm to some off my rocker because I'm saying that the creator has told me that I'm an instrument to help bring reparations to come to pass for descendants of former slaves in this country. And as I've told people this, and I've told many, I've uh, written several poems. I've I had a prayer that I was trying very hard to circulate amongst people that I knew. And at that time, I had gotten away from social media. But even when I was on social media and I would bring up the topic of reparations, people completely ignored uh, the posts, ignored them as if I had not uh, said a word. And even as I've gone to wanted to discuss this uh, with uh, strangers, just to just to get a, a gauge on how important is this topic to the average descendant of a former slave. And I can tell you, no one, with the exception of one man, has taken a keen interest in bringing reparations to come to pass. And so my question to creation and the creator uh, and Mother Nature is, how do we solve this apathy that exists within the community of descendants of former slaves to make them care, you know, not just about reparations, but all the issues that are paramount to us uh, and to be able to unite, unify behind these things in order to achieve some good 
definite end. And so I just kind of gave an introduction as to, you know, what it is that I've been laboring and meditation about with creation. And so I just want to lay out some, uh, some facts that I've learned, even in researching this topic uh, and understanding uh, how to reach people uh, when it comes to reparations. Uh, number one is I've realized that uh, and this is common knowledge among black people. Historically, we vote Democrat. Like 86% of us vote uh, for the Democratic Party. And probably no matter what the issue is, we're going to vote Democrat if we vote. Okay. We're going to vote Democrat if we vote. That is just what has been inbred, uh, passed down in our community. And I'll even tell you that it's not really difficult to understand why. The Democratic Party is the less racist party. So we're going to vote for the less racist party. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. Uh, because although Republicans uh, don't openly claim to be racist, most of them, I can't even say that now. Now I feel like this is a ripe environment for racists to be openly racist. Nevertheless, the reason why uh, black voters historically vote Democratic is because Democrats are the least racist political party. So we will give them our vote. And literally, as we give them our vote, I feel like the black uh, population has basically been prostituting their vote uh, because they give it to the Democrats and they don't get anything really in exchange for it. We don't even get money. <laughs> you know, we haven't gotten anything really in exchange for our vote. Let's think about this. Let's really assess this. Okay. The Civil Rights Act was passed in the 60s, okay? And there have been amendments to that act over time, all right? Uh, but what other legislation has been passed to protect our rights? What other legislation has been passed to protect our rights as a people? None. They're just, they're just you know, think about it. You can take your time to think about it. But if you get beyond... Uh, the, the Civil Rights Act that was passed, I believe, in 1963 or 64. You're unable to say any other significant legislation uh, that has had as much of a significant impact upon our lives since then. And basically, they're brought in an area of integration to where now you can go to the polls without being harassed. You cannot discriminate uh, against us for jobs. Okay, that's what the law says. All right. We cannot be discriminated against for housing. You know, that's what the law says. All right. Uh, and other things. Okay. But we live in, we live in, we live in this time. Okay. It's still 2022. That discrimination still exists. That discrimination still exists within law enforcement. All right. That discrimination still exists on the national political agenda. A politician comes to your church they're soliciting a vote from your community, how does that person say that they're going to affect change in the African-American community? Now, mind you, we're almost, uh, we, we make up about uh, around 35, 36% of the vote, okay? Uh, we make up around 35 to 36%, maybe 37% of the vote, okay, nationally. Or, you know, 
uh, looking at the, the last presidential election, that's typically where our number sits. All right. That's a pretty large voting block. If you think about it, and that large voting block has not yielded us any real fruit. Okay. I'll say this. The descendants of former slaves still have not had a president uh, in the United States. We've still not yet had a vice president uh, of the United States. Uh, Barack Obama was Kenyan. Kamala Harris, her ancestry is Jamaican. All right. They are not descendants of former slaves that were brought here to the United States. So we still have not had an executive as a people uh, within uh, the executive leadership structure the exception of, you know, the Attorney General Eric Holder, uh, Clarence Thomas did make it to the Supreme Court, even though he basically votes against us every time he casts a vote. Um, and there's, you know, they're just, you know, uh, Condoleezza Rice, Secretary of State, National Security Advisor. So we've had some progress in this area, uh, but not at the pace that you would think we would have the progress. I think it's good that, you know, we're still having first when it comes to some of the very prominent uh, political offices, elected political offices around the country. But I also think it's very sad that we've not had more firsts and that we're still celebrating firsts so many years past us being bound and changed. So many years past the civil rights era to where we're still championing, being, uh, we're still celebrating uh, first in our community because we recognize, we recognize that it really is a first, okay? And we celebrate the first, but we should also be, in a way, wondering why don't we have more political influence? If we think about uh, all of the uh, recent police killings that had people in the streets, during the pandemic and we finally felt like we had uh, the attention of the country thanks to the pandemic because people were tired of being outside and so they took their anger with the pandemic and their anger with police brutality and flooded the streets uh, for, for quite some time right and I think that was good Okay, it was good to see other folks besides black folks really raising their voice to this issue but now, when it comes to legislation on the matter, uh, what we have not seen is any legislation to uh, reduce uh, or eliminate. That's the right word. I don't want to reduce anything. I want to kill it. Okay. We haven't seen legislation with any real teeth that puts law enforcement in the crosshairs of the law should they violate civil rights of a descendant of former slave or anyone uh, like they did George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. You see the civil suits, but you haven't seen legislation pass that will bring it to a screeching halt. Why? Because the police lobby, <laughs> the law enforcement lobby has jammed up the legislation. That's why it hasn't happened. And what we have not had is a counteracting black lobby to say, we need this to happen uh, besides Black Lives Matter, and that organization is now falling apart due to what it sounds like or seems like is uh, some type of mismanagement uh, with their, um, you know, executive leadership. And so now that organization is dwindling. Its influence has eroded. 
because his leadership uh, has eroded or was not managing the organization properly. So here we are heading into the 2022 elections and we still don't have a champion for black issues uh, in this country. And those who are championing the cha- being a champion of the black issues within this country, for the most part, still come from uh, an era of uh, born in the 60s, or they're still espousing the same mantra of things that were talked about in the 60s and not changing the discourse or influencing the discourse to one unite us in a way to where we're not talking about those same things that happened in the 60s anymore. The 60s was the 60s. I'm going to tell you something. That was a different type of African-American that lived in the 60s, that marched to the streets. That was a different type. That was a different type of African-American that marched in the streets that would do the, or uh, that uh, participated in the bus, bus boycott, the bus boycott. Sorry, I'm trying to slow my words down. That was just a different type of African-American. Why? Because they had the patience to not ride the bus. They had the courage to not ride the bus. They had the courage to see that uh, initiative all the way through to hit that organization in the pocket for as long as it took until there was change. And not just change that would last as long as the media paid attention to it. It was a lasting change. We can all now sit where we want to on the bus across the country. All right. But if it had not been for the courage of those folks and the amount of time that it took for it to come to pass, it would have never happened. But that was a different type of African-American. African-Americans today is, from what I've seen, they don't have the same fortitude to bring these things to come to pass. Which is why I think reparations, you know, because the creator said I was the instrument, I don't know how I'm going to be the instrument. I'm doing what I know I'm able to do to shape and fashion myself and allow myself to be fashioned more and more into that instrument by the day. But I'm just one man. (laughs) And the other man that's helping me, he's also one man. And we are the only two that have taken inspired action towards bringing this to come to pass. Everyone else will hear about reparations. They might say the prayer, and then that's where they leave it. And no one's really jumping in to say, all right, how do we solve this problem? How do we get this to come to pass? And I went looking on uh, websites for other organizations that are uh, solely focused on reparations, and I'll tell you what I don't see there. I'll tell you what I do see. I still see uh, organizations begging to be heard or to to at least have the country acknowledge that we deserve them. That's that's still where they are and the progress that they're attempting to make is at least United States say that we are owed the reparations. At least give us that much, right? Leave us at least give us uh you know that much credit that you know Due to the injustices and the inequality that we've lived through and still suffer through, we are at least owed reparations to help bring us to some type of economic equality so we can enjoy the freedoms within this country just like every other citizen. Okay? They're still just waiting for the country to acknowledge that reparations are deserved. And we still haven't gotten that acknowledgement. The Biden administration has commissioned a study 
for reparations, which I think is a foolish waste of money designed specifically to placate folks to say, at least we took this action. And now what's going to happen if the study comes back and says, nope, we don't think y'all deserve it. What's going to be next? Right. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past the country to say, well, we've looked at the facts and uh, now like people, y'all don't deserve these reparations. <laughs> I could just, I could just see that being <laughs> one of the results <laughs> that comes out of it. Why? Because they know when it comes down to election time, we're going to choose the less racist option and go to the polls and still vote Democratic anyway because they are the less racist option for us to vote for, period. That's, you know, not since Barack Obama have we been inspired to vote for anyone in mass. We voted for Joe Biden because we were just that disgusted uh, with Donald Trump. But if you really look at it, we have not been inspired. Uh, we were inspired by Bill Clinton. Uh, um, I won't go into. I won't go into Bill. I, I feel like we feel like he related to us in a lot of ways because of you know playing the saxophone and, and and so on. But he was a very charismatic leader. Uh, but we've still not had anyone champion uh, black issues in the way that they need to be championed. All right. So. How do you get reparations to become a topic of household conversation within the black community? Does it have to come from a celebrity? If, if uh, Jay-Z or any other rappers that have influence were to start uh, saying reparations now, we demand reparations and raising their fist and demanding it from the White House and speaking it over their music and posting about it on social media and getting involved in the political discourse, would that change our minds? Maybe. I think that has a good shot because we'll listen to a celebrity, right? Uh, There are no politicians. There are no black politicians that are going to grab the mic and champion this issue across the country. Why? Because they don't want to alienate their non-black voters. And typically, if they come from a majority black district, they don't have enough influence uh, and, and whatever branch of government they're in to, to go across the country nationally. They're basically pigeonholed to their districts. They don't have real national influence. They just don't, okay? I've yet to see it. I haven't seen it from the two leaders here. Sheila Jackson Lee has been a champion of reparations for how long and ain't brought it home yet? If she ain't brought it home by now, she ain't gonna bring it home. If she's not able to show us her measured incremental progress towards the actual execution of getting this done, she's incapable, so is Al Green. So is anyone else. Okay. Uh, John Lewis, um, great civil rights era leader that just passed here recently in the past couple of years. Um, I didn't see him champion, being a champion, championing. I keep cutting that word off. I didn't see him being a champion for reparations. Okay. And I don't think it's going to, and, and he, he, you know, he was a great man. He did many things. Uh, he said it was always, you know, what, did he, what was his thing? Sometimes it's you know, good trouble, uh, being good trouble. That's what he used to say, something like that, right? So he was good trouble in his own way. But he didn't trouble enough people to bring reparations home uh, to a community that sorely deserves them. So we don't have uh, any black legislators with the influence, not in the Senate, not in Congress. We don't have any black governors with the influence uh, in any state. Why? Because they're, they don't want to alienate 
they're white voters. So it's not going to happen. All right. So where does that leave us? Let's go to the church. Okay. Uh, the, the black church, the black church is still talking about the building fund in a lot of cases. What I would love to see uh, is a prominent leader like T.D. Jakes, who has a very large audience, but he's also in Texas. Okay. And uh, there's only so much influence that he's able to affect in Texas. But if he were to raise up and say, arise up and say, we deserve reparations and we should get this done. He has the ability because he has the audience to at least start beginning the conversation in earnest. Yet he remained silent. Uh, and just like many black pulpits across the United States, what they will espouse is the same racial inequities that we've been suffering through. Yet they don't come up with any unifying solutions uh, to enact them. Uh, typically what we are encouraged to do is vote uh, for the least racist candidate uh, and hope that the situation for us does not grow more dire. So where does this leave uh, the reparations conversation? Because trust me, Joe Biden is going to leave this thing in limbo until he's out of office without the right pressure. And uh, the organizations that are still asking for uh, reparations to uh, at least be acknowledged that we deserve them, they're not moving the needle at all. So I've begun reaching out to the White House. Actually, I actually I actually send the president a message at least twice a day about reparations. And uh, that's actually the part that I like uh, because I, you know, I write pretty persuasive arguments. And, uh, uh, you know, I know eventually they're going to be like, this guy has sent the president, I don't know how many messages about this. He's real serious about it. But here's the thing that people don't understand about me or the people that are reading those things don't understand about me. I don't speak and I don't write unless I want to see whatever that is come to pass. And as a result of this being my uh, daily custom for the past three years, with my words, my words uh, basically all become flesh. May generally always do. Uh... <laughs> even more so with this initiative because the creator said you are the chosen instrument. So the biggest pain in the butt for me has been not believing that I'm the chosen instrument, but being the chosen instrument for people that are not willing to roll up their sleeves and become vocal about the topic. Just imagine this, just imagine this. All right. We all know how polarized this country is right now. We know it's politically polarized, right? And I've assessed the voting map across the country. I've assessed it because I'm looking at where is the most strategic place or places to begin traveling the country, uh, putting up the campaign literature for reparations, campaign mailers, beginning to organize people going door to door, treating it just like a political campaign. And I've been looking at the map. I looked at the map. I looked at the map. I looked at the map. 56% of the black voting population is in the South. Let me tell you something. That dilutes our ability to make change that we want to see happen so much uh, because we are a minority here, with, with the exception of uh, one state where we are very progressive, and that is Georgia. But with the exception of Georgia, uh, we don't have enough votes, even if we voted 100%, for a Democratic candidate 
to electing to to put a, someone statewide, um, uh, to put someone in a statewide office like Senate, or to elect a governor that would champion our issues. Black people don't wield enough influence. The only state where they wield enough influence like that is Georgia. So, although black people, if they come out to vote, they will help uh, elect the representatives that they want. They really have no bearing on a statewide race because their vote is diluted. Even in Texas, it has a majority of the black people in this country. Texas will never elect a Democrat to a statewide office because we're that outnumbered. Uh, The same with Florida. Florida, they are that outnumbered. Black people are that outnumbered. Uh, New York, you have the chance just because New York is more progressive. California, you have the opportunity because California is more progressive. Um, But Georgia, Georgia is uh, a place where if black people in Georgia uh, really flex their muscles and started asking their elected leaders, well, what about reparations? What you going to do about that? That has the potential to move the needle and make reparations uh, a household conversation, at least in Georgia, to where now Georgia's elected officials have to start uh, answering the reparations question. Right now, black people's vote uh, where we are in pockets, with the exception of Georgia, we don't have enough influence to create a national conversation about reparations. We just don't. It just doesn't exist. The numbers are not there. Okay, Georgia is the only place within the country where black people really wanted to raise hell about reparations. That is the one place where we are able to see some real change. And how beautiful and how ironic that is, how, how ironic uh, that is, because you know, that is the birthplace, birthplace of uh, Dr. King, and that's where his church uh, still is. And uh, if Senator Warnock, if he should be Herschel Walker, I pray to God he beats Herschel Walker. He is, he he would just be a terrible representation of us in the Senate uh, because he doesn't know the issues. Oh, I'm not going. I'm not going to divulge into him. But if but if Senator Warnock, who is also the pastor of Martin Luther King's uh, church, were to say, "I'm going to champion the cause of reparations." He has the potential uh, to make that happen. Okay, he has the potential to make that happen. I'll tell you what else: uh, Georgia voters, Black Georgia voters, have more influence than any other Black voters within the country because they are the singular group of Black voters that have the ability to affect national politics. I'll tell you how: if Black voters don't go to the polls and vote. Uh, in the presidential election, the state flips back red. And and no other, really no other state changes based on how polarized the country is right now. No other state changes. But if black voters said, if you don't make reparations a topic, we're going to sit out, we're going to sit this one out. Because uh, no matter who's in office, the effect upon us is still the same. Okay? The effect upon black America is still the same, no matter if there's a Republican in the office a president or a Democrat in the office of president. So if Georgia's black voters were to say, I'm just going to sit this one out until y'all make reparations. A national conversation is all the same for us. We get the same treatment either way. We get the same lip service either way. So we're just going to sit it out. Then I believe that community of black voters has the ability 
uh, to bring reparations into national discussion. Why? Because it's going to have to be talked about if uh, the president wants to win that vote, if he wants to win that state. He has to bring reparations into the daily national discourse and find a solution. If somebody wants to win statewide office in Georgia, they have to go to the black community to be competitive. And if they're not going to make reparations part of the national discourse, then the Democratic Party would never win another office in that state. And so in a way, uh, black people in Georgia can hold the entire Democratic Party hostage until they quit giving us lip service on reparations. Okay, this is things, these are things that creation and I and Mother Nature and I and the Creator and I talk about. And really, that's the only state where the numbers support it. In the, in the other state, if black people were to sit out the election, it would really be uh, more so symbolic. Uh, they, you know, they would still be advised to vote for whoever their representatives are going to be because you need that representation. But when it comes to the statewide office, you really don't have no effect on that. Okay, it just don't exist. Texas is not going to elect a Democratic senator. Uh, <laughs> that person would have to be an amazing unifier of people to, to be able to be elected in Texas because the state is so polarized. Same with Florida. Uh, the same with uh, any other uh, any other, other southern states. With the exception, I think, Louisiana has a Democratic senator. Uh, but no others uh, really exist um, in the South that I'm aware of, okay? So if black people really wanted to start to exercise their power when it comes to their vote, Georgia is the best place for black people to stage a rebellion, to stage a revolution, to stage a sit-in, to do something to flex their voting muscle because they alone, and really, I've, I've looked at the numbers here, Georgia alone is able to basically change the tide of presidential politics, you look at uh, the last election, Joe Biden won by 12,000 votes. So let's just say if, you know, uh, the margins are just the same in 2024. And you got 20,000 courageous black voters to say, nah, I'm not going to the polls because I'm not voting for president because it doesn't change. We want somebody in there that's going to get us reparations. This forces President Biden to bring reparations back to the national forefront of the conversation, okay, part of the conversation. We haven't heard about reparations since his first year in office. And I uh, looked up some articles to see, like, when was the last time he discussed it? He went to Oklahoma to celebrate the, uh, uh, the or, you know, to, in honor of the uh, bombing of Black Wall Street that happened in Oklahoma. And he told the lawmakers there, just don't expect reparations to happen. He basically said there's not enough political will for it to happen in this country. And let me tell you something. When will there ever be the political will for reparations if it is not forced? And do, rep, do, do descendants of former slaves have the courage to force it to become a part of the national discourse? Now, this is the thing. Do you want it? Do you really want reparations? Do you really want uh, descendants of former slaves, do you want reparations? At this point, <laughs> at this point, because the creator's insistent upon this, mind you, I really would not have imagined that this is something that I would have to be the champion for because 
uh, trying to convince black people to really exert this level of uh, influence uh, to like strong arm situation, it just ain't in our nature no more. Like we have a lot of people that will talk. A lot of us will talk about what we would like to do. Let me say this a different way. I'm a Generation X guy. We talked about, you know, history wasn't diluted when I was in school uh, as, as much as it is now. All right. And, you know, a lot of us used to say I couldn't have lived during the times of slavery because I would have been uh, I would have been a revolutionary. I'd have been fighting. There ain't no way I couldn't have lived during the time of civil rights because I would have had to be more radical like Malcolm X. A lot of us used to say that in school. And now when the rubber meets the road, quiet as church mice. So are uh, are the millennials uh, tapped in that way? I don't know. Uh, Are the the generation, are the Gen Zers tapped in that way? I I really don't know. Uh, Nevertheless, the creator says he wants them for us. And if there's not an appetite for it, that must mean that an appetite for reparations must be growing or shall grow because he said that I'm the instrument. And trust me, I'm a reluctant instrument, (laughs) but I've accepted the fact that I am the instrument and I'm working and programming myself to be singularly focused on this thing until it is done. And if that causes all types of heartache and anarchy in order to get this done, I don't care because I want to be released from the assignment uh, and also to, to accomplish the mission. And I'll tell you something. I think it's a great day in this country where, number one, we get a formal apology for slavery, a formal apology for slavery, okay? Number two, that the country says, you know what? descendants of former slaves, we would not be the world power that we are if we had not subjected you to this horrendous treatment. And you guys are owed this because we would not be in this position had it not been for slave labor. And you guys have suffered many injustices and we've uh, broken away from that brutal institution, but racism still persists, the inequality still persists, and you guys have not fully enjoyed the freedoms promised in the founding documents of this country. Here you go. So that's a great day for me to imagine. It's also a hard one. It's also a hard day for me to imagine because what I know that comes along with that is uh, finding enough descendants of former slaves courageous enough to really exert their influence. And since we don't have the money yet, okay, and we don't have any celebrities that are putting their money at risk to champion reparations, and we don't have any legislative influence or politicians in office that have the ability to get us reparations, okay? So what do we have left? We have the one thing that can turn this country on its head when it comes to elections, and that is our vote. And if more black people were to say, I'm just going to sit this out, I'm just going to sit this election out because my life really isn't better. No matter who's in the executive office, it's basically the same. <clears throat> I really can't think how my life has been better no matter who's in office. I was uh, My first time voting for president was for George W. I didn't vote for him. I voted for Al Gore. That was my first presidential election. And uh, I had a job then. I had a good job then. I had a good job for... His eight years. I had a good job for Obama's eight years. Uh, the first time I actually ran into financial difficulty, 
<laughs> was during the Trump years, uh, which is carried on out into the Biden years. But also that's because uh, of the supernatural calling over my life. I just have to live through this experience as I do what the creators called me to do. So I won't actually put that on either the president. I'm going to put that on the creator uh, because he has supernaturally closed all doors that I would normally run to to make money or I was able to make money very easily. And he sequestered me to carry out some very specific assignments. One of those being being the instrument for descendants of former slaves to get reparations. And I am a reluctant instrument. <laughs> I can't overstate that. <laughs> Because I'm attempting to motivate an apathetic people on the topic of reparations. It is easier for someone to complain about the injustice in this country than to take the bold step to solve the injustice in the country. It's easier to take, uh, it's easier to complain than it is to take the action. And the only action that I've identified right now to get the Democratic Party's attention, because listen, Republicans ain't gonna vote for reparations. It ain't happening. The Republican Party will never acquiesce to reparations. It's not gonna happen, okay? That is, it's two races of a party. There's That conversation ain't going nowhere, right? So it's the Democratic Party who has, since, since as long as I remember, come to us asking for our votes on Sundays, come to our community promising many things and have not made significant changes to the better for our people. So they've been the ones who've come to us for votes. We just need to stop giving it to them. Really nothing has changed for us because what we really do is vote for the least racist option. Okay. And really black people, is that what you want to use your vote for? Do you really want to use your vote for the least racist option? Is, is that is that is that really what we want to say the sum total of our vote is, is we're voting for the least racist option? I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Tell me one time that you voted for a Republican because the issues that they were talking about, if you historically voted Democrat and uh, a Republican really moved you to want to vote for them, like you can probably count that on one hand. But every other time, the reason why you didn't choose a Republican is because uh, you felt like the Democrat was the least racist option who would champion issues that matter to you and your community. Okay, Even more so, the Republican Party, especially as it stands right now, they treat uh, uh, the have-nots in such a deplorable way. Uh... That I, you know, I feel like the creators mocked every time they open their mouths, because they claim to be the party of uh, evangelicals, yet they do the least amount of evangelical things. Uh, Bible says, "However you treat the least of men is also uh, whatever you do unto the least of men, you also do unto me." Now, if Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis really believe that, would they be using immigrants? from Venezuela as pawns the way that they are right now. I even think about the MAGA community. Now, mind you, I've actually sat in a couple of MAGA chat rooms just to listen, because I'm just curious about why are these folks the way that they are? Why are they so motivated and fired up about Donald Trump? But let me tell you something. Those folks believe in Donald Trump. <laughs> Man, they believe in Donald Trump. They are fired up behind that dude, and if he does not win next time, they are really for sure planning to tear this place up. 
okay? They are motivated behind that man. For whatever reason, I really don't fully understand how he has pierced their souls in the way that he has, but he has, and they believe his stuff. I don't care what he says, they're going to vote for him. The only way that those folks are not going to vote for Donald Trump is if he's not on the ballot. The only way that they're not going to vote for him is if he ends up under indictment and ultimately in jail and not able to run for office. But even if that man's in jail, I still believe people would vote for him in jail. <laughs> I really think so. That's how motivated they are behind somebody who has such a hard time telling the truth. It's amazing to me that he was even elected. But yet, he was elected in the office. Uh, black voters do not have anyone that would motivate them to run through a brick wall the same way. We are motivated by voting for the least racist option. And is that all our vote is worth? I mean, you really got to think about that. Is your vote only worth putting the least racist option uh, in, in an elected office? Your life is, your life don't change anyway. I could just generally say, I don't know how politicians have really influenced my life. Uh, in a way to where I just, you know, can just really attribute any uh, act of legislation or anything that they've done to where I can say, man, this really changed my life for the better. I just can't think of one. Maybe I'll be short-sighted. Who knows? But what I do know is you don't hear any of them saying black people in this country because the economic superpowerness and the global stature that this country has is a direct result from slave labor. The country don't have it. This country does not usher itself into the Industrial Revolution if it is not because of slave labor. This country does not have the industries that are able to export things internationally if it is not for slave labor. Yet, the people that helped this country, not just in times of crisis during the war, but help it, helped it from its infancy, there was such a big part of the economic prosperity of this country that it forced the Civil War. And still, this country has not awarded folks who have suffered through that their due compensation for the injuries that it has caused and continues to cause their community. I think it's tragic. So, what is the end result? Uh... The result is reparations because otherwise the creator would not have tapped my mind and had me believing uh, that these things have come to pass. Because trust me, I didn't want it before he said, you are the chosen instrument. I really didn't. It was it was something that I had long given up on. It was not a part of anything that I would say because I was completely disconnected from politics. I was basically voting for the least racist option, <laughs> just like the rest of us. Okay, uh, But since the creator says... Uh, that these things are coming to pass. They're going to come to pass. How they come to pass, only the creator knows. What I do know is, when will... Listen, we fought real hard for the right to vote. And our vote has been reduced to voting for the least racist option. Okay? So I'm glad that we have the ability to keep more racists out of Congress. That's good. So... But when it comes to president, we want somebody who's going to champion reparations. When it comes to your elected leaders, we should want someone that's going to champion reparations. We want folks that are going to champion this issue for us 
And when they come around to our community, they need to also address how is this going to be moved forward? That should be the very first thing that they address. People need to have a way forward on reparations. If not, show them the door, because otherwise, how does it serve your community? They're still building jails. Our jails are still overcrowded uh, with a majority of African-Americans, although we are a minority in this country. We still receive harsher sentences, even though uh, we are a minority in this country. If you put us up against, if you put people of color up against nine people of color for the same offense, the person of color gets the harsher sentence. So how does your vote matter there? How does your vote matter when the system of education in public schools in inner cities that are uh, basically filled with black and brown kids still underperform? How does your vote matter there? Okay, where is all this money going, uh, especially money that we're shipping off to the Ukraine? And now the president is talking about helping Taiwan. That's billions of dollars. How would that better affect uh, the African-American community? How would that affect the black community? How can that money be used towards reparations? How can reparations help you um, uh, combat racism? These are all questions that we should be asking. Reparations isn't just so we can have, you know, just a little extra change in our pocket. It helps a lot of people get good houses. It helps people move out of the inner city or to be able to affect more political change within the inner city because they have the money. It helps people to not be overwhelmed uh, with unjust uh, criminal proceedings where people, uh, where the district attorneys or the government will prey on the fact that, literally pray. The government preys on the fact they completely understand that people of color, unless they, unless they have significant resources, are unable to give themselves the defense that they need in order to overcome their cases. They know this, okay? I've seen this happen in the court too many times, and it's disgusting. So um, I'm just laying some thoughts out there as I labor with this topic and uh, <laughs> praying for a way forward because I'm so tired of thinking about it. I'll be very honest. Uh, and, you know, maybe if more people would join the discussion, it wouldn't be something that I find so tormenting. Uh, but because I have to work through these things myself, the least tormenting part of my job is when I send my notes directly to the president uh, about reparations. And those are pretty good. And uh, those will be released in time. Uh, I'm not releasing those publicly yet until there are more people that want to get on board. Otherwise, those are going to be private conversations between me and Joe Biden and whoever in the Biden administration is filtering these messages to him. All right. Uh, but when are other people going to be just as courageous to say to the president, I'm not going to give you my vote until you talk about reparations. I'll tell you what. If <laughs> the president has already said he's running. If, if every time he came or if if if, if 10,000 black people on one day said, President Biden, you're not getting my vote until uh, you start talking about reparations. I bet he starts to talk about reparations. A small number is 10,000 people. If 10,000 black voters said you will not get my vote if you do not talk about reparations, I guarantee you he's going to start talking about reparations. He can't ignore that many voters. And <laughs> the thing that I uh, don't believe possible right now, maybe when I get face to face with folks, who knows? I don't know what it'll take to make 10,000 black people even want to tell the president that. Okay. I don't know that they would even tell the president that, but I guarantee you 
You have 10,000 black people on the same day, tagged the president on social media and said, you don't get my vote until you talk about reparations. He's going to start talking about reparations because he knows he cannot win without the black vote. And the country is so polarized, he knows that he needs every vote. And we should show him that he's not going to take our vote for granted in 2024. All right. I think I've talked enough about this for today. And uh, maybe I just needed to uh, speak openly about what creation and the creator and mother nature and I talk about in private uh, when it comes to reparations. And maybe this inspires somebody to action. Maybe this gets somebody off of the fence to say, okay, I'll jump into this cause. I'll, I'll, I'll just take action without having to be uh, told every little step. You know, this is something that we all want. Fight for it. Okay, fight for it. Fight for it. Ask how you can help out. Ask who you can talk to. Ask who you can bring into the conversation. Uh, because until more people affect this conversation, what I'm absolutely relying on is the creator jamming the president up so much that he has no other choice but to listen to me. Until more people get on board, I'm just relying on the creator to basically sabotage all of President Biden's plans, just like uh, the creator sabotaged Pharaoh until I have the president's ear. So it's going to come through those courageous folks that speak up or the creator or both. We shall see. Either way, it's going to happen. I pray that, and I, actually I'm saying this just for my own sake. I would just like to see black people be courageous about something. Consistently courageous about something. We got to live here. Don't let people prostitute your vote because they want to be elected. Don't reduce your vote to choosing the least racist option because then you really don't make our situation better. You're perpetuating more of the same. Our vote ought to mean something. If people died for it, it ought to be sacred to us. And not just be because they want to vote. We want to vote for the least racist option. We should vote for the person that is really going to be a champion for our causes. And reparations is a cause worth having a champion for in all areas of the government. All right. I am your host, Samuel Ibrahim, the metaphysical Mr. Rogers. The Michael Jordan of balancing metaphysical equations. The Michael Jackson of metaphysics. Why? Because you can't beat it. I'm your host of the Mind of the Prophet Meditation Hour, creation's favorite podcast. Signing off, Samuel Ibrahim out.